always a pleasure and a privilege to be up here and uh, bring God's words to you uh, this morning. And every time I get an opportunity, um, if you don't know, your um, bulletin does have today's text. So if you want to go ahead and open up um, either your Bible or your bulletin to the text, it is 1 John uh, chapter 2. And we're going to begin with verses, uh, well, verse 15 through 17. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Very good. So this will be my fourth message in my series in First John. Um, for the view, those of you who have missed or maybe haven't been here, I'll bring you up to speed. Uh, so First John is an epistle that uh, aging elder and original disciple of Christ is writing uh, to a group of believers who have been infiltrated by a sect known as Gnostics. Now these Gnostics have brought many uh, divisive heresies into the church, so as you can imagine, there's a lot of doubt, there's a lot of confusion going on as far as am I really a believer in Christ. Now, it's not like in our day and age if someone comes in the doors now with heresies, uh, we can pretty much spot them right away. Some of us hyper-Calvinists, we can smell Armenianism a mile away. Uh, but this was the baby church, so they're still trying to sort out certain doctrines and um, so, as you can imagine, it's causing, again, confusion and doubt. So what John uh, decides to do is write out three diagnostic tests, if you will, um, to assure the, the believers in the congregation that they are truly in union with Christ and assure them of their salvation. Now, the first test that John gave his audience is the, what theologians call the test of obedience. Uh, he wrote, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, test of obedience is the first test that God, uh, John gives his audience. Now, we here are, we're a Protestant denomination, and we believe that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, right? We are not a works righteousness uh, type of church, um, but we do believe that obedience is a natural result of our salvation. Uh, we should, as believers, have our, da our daily aim to please God, to please Christ in all that we do. And so, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So that's first test number one. If you truly are a believer, your ultimate goal in life is to obey Christ because you love him, you love what he has done for you in Christ. Okay, the second test that we looked at the last time I was up here was the test of uh, what they call test of love. Um, so John wrote, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling, but... Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
Now, some of you know, um, I have been, before I came to Christ the King, I was at various churches, and the saddest thing that I witnessed was churches that have little cliques here and there. Some of them don't talk to other believers for whatever reason. It could be a racial thing, it could be a denominational thing. For whatever reason, some people just tend to break off into their little groups, and there is no love the way, God, the way John describes it, or the way God describes it, the way we should love our neighbor and love our brother. Um, if, you, if you're on the internet, on social media, you, I'm pretty sure you're aware of all the hatred, all the animosity between believers. And that's a very, very sad situation. So John says, if you hate your brother, um, he goes on to say later in the epistle that you're actually a murderer. You know, some of us like to pride ourselves in saying, well, I've never committed murder. Well, if you hate your brother, you have committed murder in your heart, John says. So, Today's sermon is actually a continuation of that second test of love. However, today's sermon does not deal with uh, love toward our brother. It deals with the love of the world. Now, the theme of love is addressed throughout Scripture, but nowhere more than in this uh, particular epistle. In this small epistle, the, uh, the word love is actually used 51 times. You wouldn't expect anything less from the apostle of love. All those uses are in the positive sense, except for one place here in uh, verse 15, where he says, do not love the world. So first question we want to answer is, what exactly does John mean by not loving the world? In John's writings, the word world is used uh, in a wide wide range of, it does have a wide range of meaning. Uh, But to summarize, I'm just, um, to summarize, on one hand, Uh, The world is what God created through Christ, and it's also uh, loved by God through Christ. On the other hand, we have the world that lies in the grip of Satan and and is comprised by people on earth who oppose and ignore God and seek to live independently from him. So I think it's pretty obvious uh, who John is referring to uh, by the world here. Douglas O'Donnell, in his commentary, wrote, The world is a group of people who are part of a system that is organized on wrong principles and characterized by base desires, false values, and egotism. Quite sadly, it means the typical kind of life that is being lived by the average person today. Okay, so the world um, that that John is talking to here is just the world system that is opposed to God. Um, The second question that we want to answer is, what does John mean by the things of this world? Uh, he talked about playing video games, listening to rap music, rock music, uh, that watching sitcoms on television or watching rated R movies, maybe upgrading to a luxury sedan. Um, hardly. John did not know of any of these things when he wrote this epistle. Uh, so that's not really what he's talking about. Uh, I came from an apostolic uh, tradition in my home, and uh, if you're not aware, the apostolic uh, denomination is very legalistic. Uh, They're the believers that say that women shouldn't wear denim, shouldn't wear makeup, they cannot uh, have any alcoholic beverages, uh, things of that sort. All that stuff is of the world. And so that's the type of Christianity that that I grew up with. And so... I remember back about seven years ago when I first uh, came to Christ the King and uh, I joined the Journey Group. And my very first group was with Pastor Chuck and like three other men. 
And uh, after our first meeting, I remember uh, Chuck said, all right, so which one of you guys want to go down to the uh, Hoppy Monk and have a beer and a cigar? And as you could imagine, someone who's grown up in a legalistic environment, I right away was like, whoa, whoa. Coming from the past year, he wants to go have a beer and smoke a cigar. So um, that was, it was uh, I don't know, I was confused. So I had to, uh, <laughs> I had to go back and I uh, had to study up on what Christian freedom really means and um, all that stuff that we tend to think are of the world are not really of the world. It's just thing, what we do as human beings, we have a tendency because we're sinful, we tend to turn things into idols. And so music will become an idol, or television will become an idol. Whatever is in this world that is not sinful in and of itself, but we, because of our desires, our lusts, we turn things into idols. So what does John mean by the things of this world? Verse 16, he says uh, that it's the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So let's, uh, take a first, let's take a look at that first one, desires of the flesh. Now, when the Bible speaks about the flesh, it usually refers to sexual sin. Here, however, the term is, is broad, and it includes any type of physical pleasure. Uh, Martin Luther, the, the great Protestant reformer, uh, defined it this way. He said, the lust of the flesh is that pleasure which I desire to indulge my flesh, such as adultery, fornication, gluttony, ease, and sleep. Uh, James, in his epistle, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, the literal translation here, instead of desire, it should read lust. Um, now, usually, again, when we think of the word lust, uh, we think of sexual sin, but here, it's a broader, uh, there's a broader meaning, and we tend to lust. Anything can be lustful to us. It could be um, something that we watch on television. It could even be, as Martin Luther said, uh, food. Sometimes um, we lust after food, uh, and I, I'm guilty of that. I am a big Chick-fil-A fan, as you guys know. I am there five times a week. Um, so I am guilty of sometimes being a glutton. Um, <clears throat> so that is what Mr. Um, John here is talking about when he talks about desires of the flesh, uh, desires of the eyes. Uh, perhaps the body part most susceptible to sin are those two-inch two inch wide openings that we call our eyeballs. The enemy wants our eyes wide open so that we can covet all that is opposed to God, whether it's ungodly status, ungodly success in pursuits, possessions, or people. We must resist the devil and overcome his allurements, close our eyes to, these, uh, to those attitudes and ambitions that take us from our vision of God. So, everywhere we look, we are being enticed, we're being bombarded by everything that's out in this world. And depending on the type of person that you are, the way you're wired, uh, some things will attract you more than others. And so we've got to be very careful uh, with the things that we look at uh, because 
through, through the lens of our eyes that those lusts began to, to develop uh, within us. Finally, uh, John says, pride of life. Now, probably the most serious of these three characteristics mentioned here is the pride of life. The word life is translated here can also refer to possessions. If you have an ESV Bible in the footnotes, um, you'll see that the phrase pride in possessions uh, should be actually used. The idea here is the attitude of someone who refuses to rely on God as father while boasting in what he seemingly gained himself. It is self-dependence and self-glorification. It is is an ungodly concern or conceit viewing God's gifts as human achievements. So sometimes we tend to have pride in our possessions, right? We want the latest and greatest uh, when we don't necessarily need uh, some things. We have a perfectly fine running car that gets us from A to B, but yet we want a newer car that'll get us there faster and uh, that looks more luxurious or whatever the case may be. We have a perfectly fine working television and we want to upgrade it to a bigger television, but we have to have a certain uh, label on the television, right? Whatever it is, um, and again, these things are not sinful in and of of themselves. It's not sinful to own a car or a television or whatever the case may be. It's just our our, um, attitude behind it. Uh, Sometimes we just want the newest thing just to show off, to be conceited about having these things. And as Christians, that should not be the case. Now, uh, many commentators have made the connection between John's description of the world um, in verse 16 and the fall, where we're told, um, so the woman, meaning Eve, when she saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So that, connect, that description that John is giving in his epistle, uh, commentators correlate that to the uh, fall when Eve was tempted by Satan. The desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life um, so the devil has been using these same tactics uh, ever since, right? And we all fall for those tactics at some point or another. Now, what does John say about worldly people that feed into the desires of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life? If you look at verse 15, he says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, you must choose your love, either love for the Father or love for the world, but you can't love both. Similar to when Jesus uh, said that you, you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve money, and you cannot serve God, where you will hate one or the other. Same thing's going on here. You cannot love the world and love God at the same time. Now, it's been said that you cannot love God or have God as your spouse and still have the world as your mistress. James, in his epistle, wrote, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So it's a a pretty serious thing um, to not love the world. As Christians, we're told that we have, uh, there's an unholy trinity out there that we must constantly be fighting, uh, the flesh, the devil, and the world. 
Now, uh, in my study here of First uh, John, I read uh, William Greenhill. William Greenhill was a Puritan, um, and he had a few questions that he uh, included in his series that I would like to share with you to kind of gauge to see where your love is, whether it's for the world or for God. Uh, so one of the questions he asked is, are you more concerned with the things of this world than for heaven and spiritual things? So think about that for a moment and ask yourself, where is my mind? Where am I constantly or thinking, thinking of the most? Some of us that love sports, we know our favorite team schedule, when they're going to play, right? And we're more concerned about things of that sort. For those of us that are into politics, we know all that there is about what's going on within the uh, politic world. Um, anything, and, but we, when it tends to matters of the faith, uh, we're really not that diligent. We're not that diligent in reading the word, in, in our prayer life, in fellowshipping with other believers. We're more concerned with what's going out, out in the world. Um, another thing that Mr. Greenhill asked is, are you content with the little when it comes to the matters of the soul. So some of us might be content with just coming to church once a week. And we come to church, we do our thing, we go home, and that's the last that we think about God or the church or other Christians until the following week. You know, we might sprinkle in a prayer here and there, um, but we're content with simply just coming to church once in a while, and that's it. Um... Number three, are you more grieved over the loss of outward worldly things than I am for the loss of spiritual things? So what grieves you more? When your favorite football team loses or when there is a prayer meeting that's canceled? Of course, it's when your football team loses, right? If a prayer, te- if a prayer meeting is canceled, you're like, yes, now I get to go and do other worldly things, right? That's most the, uh, well... That's most of our attitudes, and it shouldn't be that way. Now, answering these questions should sober our attitudes and make us realize that we are not as godly as we think we are. Um, If this is you, take heart, because Christ has promised that in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. While Jesus was in the wilderness, he was confronted by the devil, much like Adam and Eve were in the garden. He tempted him the same way that he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden with the same allurements. He took him up to the mountaintop, and he said, here are all the kingdoms. And Jesus refused, and how did he refuse uh, the, the enemy? By quoting scripture back to us. This is why it is very, very important that we have God's word hidden in our heart so that when the accuser comes and tempts us with the things of this world, we are ready to combat those, uh, those attacks with the word of God. Now, recently I was having a conversation with a coworker, and, um, and we're talking about how things come to an end. All things will, there's nothing in this world that lasts forever. 